Well, good morning again, and welcome to you wherever you're joining us from. We wanted to take a moment in the service today to really actually continue in our worship by telling a few stories and giving testimony to what God has been doing among us through this fall initiative that we have called the Rally. So many of you have stepped up to join us in what God is doing to really wrap around the youth in our community, teachers, families as they're navigating this challenging school year. Now, I gotta be honest, that's kind of looked small scale at this point. It's been behind the scenes and even kind of hidden in a way that goes against what we often kind of long for in our humanness um, with, with church ministry, that kind of those big numbers and flashy events. And yet God's care and his provision and his attention to us in this season has been undeniable as people among us here have poured themselves out on behalf of youth. I've gotten to be a part of what we call the Literacy Link, which is our after-school reading intervention program for the littlest readers among us. And those numbers there have been small, and yet that has created an environment in which students are able to receive an incredible level of one-on-one -on -one attention from reading buddies here at Sunridge. Uh, I gotta tell you, I've gotten teared up a lot of times this week as I've watched students just really light up as they've been looked in the eye and their stories have been listened to and reading buddies have leaned in and wanted to hear from them and given them quality instruction at their level and at their pace, something that unfortunately just isn't able to happen through a computer screen and yet God is providing through his people here at Sunridge. Witness the events that have taken place over the last few weeks as families have opened up their backyards uh, and spaces for our students to connect. And like Lisa said, these events haven't been over the top and extravagant as ministry events usually are, uh, but God is using and continues to use uh, those spaces to move in small and mighty ways as well. Something I got, uh, got to be a part of was our middle school and high school pool parties, which are so fun. Just seeing students splash around and have fun and connect with students that they normally wouldn't um, in a normal school day. And then also over a home-cooked meal as they go to a Macargo family dinner. Um, and the beautiful part is going to our midweek programs and seeing those relationships and those connections continue to flourish outside of those events as well and just remind our students of the community that they have that cherishes them and loves them so, so deeply. So thank you families who have opened up your backyards and created spaces for our students to connect. My part of the literacy link was coordinating lunch pals and dinner for teachers, and I've been so blessed by the response. I sent out an email asking for people to volunteer to make and deliver lunches, and nine brave souls said yes to me, and they have done an amazing job. I'm so thankful to you lunch pal providers. We have been able to take lunch to 20 families around the valley, and that covers about 55 kids. So it's just moms who are home, distance, social, uh, distance learning their kids and we get to bring them lunch and make a break in their day and let them know we're thinking about them. So our lunch pal providers have been amazing. I also want to thank those of you who donated to the Dinner for Teachers. Because of your generosity, we were able to provide a gift certificate to 25 of our teachers here at Sunridge just to thank them. I think we've never been more appreciative of teachers ever and it's so nice um, that we could appreciate them just a little in practical ways. This has been such a fun thing to watch the way we can show Christ's love to our church family um, just in these practical, fun ways. And I'm so thankful for those of you who contributed and volunteered. 
My job with the rally has been to coordinate classes and workshops provided by some of you who offered up your gifts and just things that you love to do like drawing and fitness and photography and even aromatherapy. And we were able to get a group of kids together twice in the last couple of weeks to do a jewelry making workshop led by Sarah Hunt. Thank you so much. It was such a fun time for them to talk and laugh together and just be together with other kids in person. Something that has been inspirational to me personally with the rally has been getting to talk and email with those of you who have been offering up your gifts and have been wide open and just so excited to share something that you love with our kids for the sake of their well-being. And so we wanted to tell you all of these stories about what God is doing in the rally right now to encourage you and to say that he is moving among us even in all of these different ways. And please continue to be praying with us that God would use Sunridge to carry out his purposes in this valley and in our church family. So now let's talk. We get to continue this morning by hearing from Britt as he shares with us. Thanks, Heather, Lisa, Teddy. Pam, man, you know, from the very beginning when COVID first hit and we had to not have services on our campus, we, we constantly have repeated that we haven't closed the church. And Sunridge has been open and we have been ministering in this valley and the rally is just such an amazing effort by our team. So I just want to thank everybody that's involved with that and all of you volunteers that have been uh, you know, helping us with that, whether you're just giving money to, you know, a teacher family who's been, you know, grinding all day and then has their kids at home as well, or you've been here helping kids read. I'm super hopeful that this week I will get a reading buddy because I volunteered for that. Uh, you can still hit Lisa up and others about uh, ways that you can help us engage in what's happening in our community right now and show the love of God to uh our community. You know, um, I just want to say a huge thank you also to those of you who have rallied around Sunridge. And uh, you know that at the beginning of the month I talked about how it, uh, in September it's, it's the close of our fiscal year and we ask you to give extra this month to help us finish our fiscal year strong. And so many of you have done that this week. We've been overwhelmed. And I just have to tell you that as a pastor I know that you don't do it for me or for our staff or even for the church, you know, as a corporation, you do it because you love what God is doing through this body, this group of people called Sunridge. And some of these stories are just what, they're what you're giving to. So I want you to hear from me, uh, from my heart, how grateful we are that we have people that believe in what Sunridge is doing and that you, you have made such sacrifices for that. Thank you so much. You know, I always like to start the service off by uh, inviting you to say hello to the people that you see online with you. And you should know that right now we have two um, streams going on. We have our Facebook Live, which we've been uh, using from the beginning of COVID, but we're also launching an online platform, and some of you are watching through that, and so we'll be telling you more about that this Tuesday. An email will come out uh, that'll give you more information about that, but this is just part of our plan once COVID hit to to make our online services, uh, you know, have a higher quality, be able to do more things through it. So uh, thank you for everybody that's been involved in doing that as well. But say hello to the people that are around you. Tell us what you're doing. I always go back through and read those, and it's 
you know, I know that some of you are really loving being in your PJs for church, but uh, I've also heard, you know, how much you're looking forward to being back together. As we've mentioned, we're going to be worshiping uh, tonight together. I hope that you'll come out from that for that. And uh, we are super hopeful and praying that this Tuesday we get to take another step uh, in meeting together as a church. Uh, we're waiting for those health guidelines to come out. And so in the meantime, we're committed to like a quality online service and worship. And tonight at our uh, worship evening, I, I want to be able to tell you about some of the things that we're going to be doing to help you connect with other people at Sunridge through small groups. So uh, come out for that. Um, in John's gospel, in chapter 4, uh, Jesus is on his way. He, he and his followers, they're on their way to uh, Galilee. And yet the road that takes him there goes through a region in that first century called Samaria. Now, this, this is a, a place or a region where a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi of that time, would be really uncomfortable. This is not a place where they would want to be, nor is it the people that they would want to be with. And yet this is a stop on Jesus' trip. And so they stop in this village called Sakaar, and Jesus uh, goes to a well to have a drink and get some rest. And a local woman uh, approaches the well, and Jesus asks her to give him a drink. And she responds this way in John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives us this very helpful uh, commentary along with it, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You know, I don't think that we could even begin to imagine how out of bounds this occurrence is culturally. In fact, when the disciples return from uh, being away from where Jesus is at the well, uh, they come back and they're stunned by it as well. They're, they're surprised, but they're taken aback. Uh, and so, like, when we read this uh, from John, it's like, it's easy for us to just kind of gloss over what's happening and, or maybe get some warm, fuzzy feelings about Jesus that, you know, isn't this wonderful that he did it? And that's part of it. But you should know that, like, this was divisive. People that are observing it, certainly some people would be stunned by it in a, in a kind of a gracious way and say, wow, who is this man? And yet other people watching it would be repulsed by it. That's, that's the scene. And yet we've, we've studied this passage before, so I don't, I'm not going to go into big detail on this interaction. But I, I will say this, that this gives us such insight into who Jesus is was and what how his heart beat and i and it in particular applies to the conversation we're having right now called let's talk let's talk is about meeting people where they are even if where they are isn't where we are and it's really about how christians can lead the way in talking about things that people today seem unable to talk about We've learned so far that if we're going to talk, we, we need to listen well. I mean, we talked about that two weeks ago, and then Jed uh, last week uh, talked about how we can't label each other and, and cast 
names and sticks and stones at one another if we're going to be able to talk. And today, I want to talk about this. If we're going to talk, we have to take off our jerseys. Now, that's not an original thought with me. It comes from this book titled, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations. I know that that's mind-boggling to think that that's even possible, but these two authors, Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, have done such a great job on uh, just talking about how Christians converse, can converse about our differences politically, and it just seems like everything's at such a high level when we go to politics today, so the book is very helpful. But this chapter two is uh, where she inserts this phrase of taking off your jersey. Now, what, what does it mean to wear a jersey? To wear a jersey means that we pick our team, and then our team becomes supreme. That's, let's put that in the chat, or someone get, get with me on this program. My team is supreme. We all think that. We all root for our team. And when we do that, we close our minds. We stop thinking. The only thinking that we really do when we, when we wear our jerseys is how to defend our team. Because we want to win. Wearing a jersey makes the alternative view something that is illegitimate. It can't even be considered. When we wear a jersey, we apply our standards in an inequitable way. Our team has one standard, but we hold the other team to a different standard. And often if we look at our team and jersey wearing uh, more closely, it isn't even about so much that we agree on our team to certain things. It's that we, that we despise or so disagree about something on the other team. So then jersey wearing makes it impossible to listen, and it makes it likely we will label, which of course in the end makes it impossible to talk, right? Now if you're trying to like track with me, it's like, Britt, you're, you're speaking in metaphors, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, don't we have teams based on our politics? Uh, our presidential choices, the news networks that we watch. Now, are you tracking with me? The periodicals that we read, the cultural issues that we're facing today. Don't we have teams uh, on whether to wear a mask or not right now? Is it, we have team mask and team not mask. We have team defy health orders, team follow health orders. So I think that you're tracking with me. But here's the thing, jersey wearing doesn't just keep us from talking. It's unchristian. Did you get that? It's unchristian. Often jersey wearing causes us to legitimize unchristian behavior. This is something that Jed talked about last week with the way that we label and name call the people who hold a different opinion than ours. That's not Christ-like. It's not that these things don't matter. It's not that there aren't differences. But when we wear our jerseys, it hurts the cause of Christ. And I'm going to talk about that today. Because I think what's happening 
is something, a word that we've used here before when we were studying Colossians, syncretism. Syncretism. Because of syncretism, some of the things that we care so passionately about seem so Christian to us. But are they? Syncretism, the problem of syncretism is this, that the, syncretism is the amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. It's a blending together of religious ideas and philosophical ideas and political ideas, which we all do, right? I do it, you do it. We're all guilty of it. But what happens to, Christ, to the Christian community is that the gospel, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, begin, begins to be infiltrated by these other ideas, and it starts to get blended together, just as it did in the church at Colossae, where Judaism and legalism and other things were infiltrating the, the pure gospel. And so it isn't just that we kind of have this mixture. It's, it becomes a contamination in the end of the pure gospel so that we don't just have a blending of Christian thought at all, but in actuality what we have is Christian thought or Christianity being supplanted by, overtaken by cultural issues and political thinking. But let me, this, if, you, if you get nothing out of what I say today, please listen to me right now. Being Christian is to place our pure allegiance entirely in Jesus. If you're following in the chat and you're giving me an amen or you're like giving me happy faces or high five right now, put one in there or just say pure allegiance entirely to Jesus. Entirely to Jesus. In order to do that, we have to discard every jersey we have. The only exceptions would be your Miami Dolphin or your Miami Hurricane jerseys. You must keep those. You see, Jesus hasn't invited us to be loyal Republicans or Democrats. He hasn't invited us to be loyal conservatives or liberals or loyal socialists or capitalists. It's not that these things are not important. I think the question is, what would you capitalize? Is your political party in capitals and Christian in lower case? This is what I'm talking about. Because when we become Christians, we, we are followers of Jesus. Another way to say it is that we apprentice under Jesus. He is our mentor. And if you look at the invitation of Jesus to the 12, his first invitations in John 1:43, when he found Philip, he said, follow me. He didn't say, take on a creed or, you know, establish this organization or that or like choose this way of thinking about the cultural issues today. He simply said, follow me. And Paul echoed those, that same sentiment in Philippians 3.10 when he said, I want to know Christ. At Sunridge, we have this mission. We say it all the time. We are here to help people find and follow Jesus. We say that a lot. But what does it mean? What does it mean to, to find Jesus and then to follow him? It really comes down to three things. One is, like, when we follow Jesus, we sit at his feet, just like Mary did in that scene where Martha was hustling around, just like the disciples did when, they, when, they, when Jesus was teaching them or telling them a story or pointing out something. They were sitting at his feet learning from him as their rabbi. And so the thoughts that should, should we should be 
just constantly meditating on are the thoughts from the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to be doing in uh, just a few weeks, 18 messages. Just take it verse by verse as we go through it. But also the great commandment and the golden rule. These are key things that Jesus said and talked about. And we sit at his feet and we, we learn from him in that way. Also, to be apprentice under Jesus means that we have a goal of becoming like him. Not that we'll ever be perfect, but our ultimate goal is to be, to reflect Christ in the world. And then lastly, to apprentice under Jesus means that after we've sat at his feet and we have a goal of becoming like him, that we do what he did. That our actions look like Jesus' actions. Our thoughts expressed are like his thoughts. The narrative of our lives follow his way. And the only way this happens is, is Christians, if we do this intentionally. Over the last year, I've been reading a lot about spiritual formation and, and how, how we become Christian, not just like in a converted way, but how do we become fundamentally Christian? How, well, how does that happen? And I think that something's been going on in the Christian community, in the church, for a number of years that is like causing us to veer off from this whole and pure entire allegiance to Jesus. Because we're not, a, we're not being intentional about how we're being formed spiritually. I'm going to put a diagram up here that kind of explains what I think is unintentional spiritual formation. You can see it at the middle of that process is our culture. And we're all affected by culture. There's no question we could never not be affected by culture. So much of the Apostle Paul's writings tell us to not be conformed to the world, to distance ourselves from the way of thinking, but we're all kind of immersed in this culture. But when we're unintentional about our formation and, and our thought process, culture becomes the center thing that drives what we do. And so when, when culture's at the center of our lives, our information that we take in, the things that we're learning, the, 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 the thoughts that go into our head, the people that we read, the things that we watch, the things that shape us, the information that comes in, is being driven by the culture. And so often the information that the Christian takes in is the same information that someone who isn't reborn is taking in. And then there's the relationships. And when our, when our culture is the center of our lives, our relationships are driven by the culture. So we form relationships based upon not, not our convictions, but what the culture is really telling us. And so we develop friendships that aren't based in our Christian faith, but they're really based on our cultural agreement on the issues that we see going on today. And then, of course, our habits and daily choices then become driven by what our culture's telling us. We make financial choices and philosophical choices and priority choices and where we live and, like, and how we think. It's like they're all being driven by what our culture is telling us. And when that happens to a Christian, we are unintentionally being formed. We're all being formed. Spiritual formation is happening 100% of the time for all of us. But when we're, when we're unintentional about it, at the core, our culture is driving it. Now, the opposite of this is intentional formation. 
And at the center of that is Jesus. Now, that's, I don't mean that like in some hocus-pocus or spiritual way. It's for the Christian, in order for you to be intentional about how you think about life, you have to put Christ in the middle, and the culture will continue to try to drive itself into the middle. But when Jesus is the center of, of our lives, our orientation is around being an apprentice of Jesus, then is the information we take in different? Certainly it is, just even if it's just Scripture, but it's the way that we take it in. And so we're constantly reflecting on the things that Jesus said in his narrative. Over and above what everything else is being thrown at us, right? So just think about like how much time you spent on uh, social media this week and the, and the thoughts and the things that you're reading about what's happening in the world or the periodicals or the news channels that you watch. It's like you're taking in all this information. How much, how much of Jesus were you taking in? Because, you know, like one is going to win, right? I don't know if it's realistic to say for every hour of news channel you watch, you should read your Bible for an hour. I, I don't think it's like that might not even be possible. But you know what? If we're, this, that's not even a thing that we're trying to achieve, right? It's like in the end, like some of us would fall so short in this, just in this basic area. So how in the world, if the culture's driving all the information that's coming at me and not Jesus, then what's going to happen to me and how I'm formed in the way that my thoughts think? And then, you know, I've changed out uh, the word relationships for koinonia. You know, I'm going back to the 80s, folks. Koinonia. It's like relationships in the church are different. Koinonia is a sharing of life that comes because of our commonness in Christ. And it's the word used for relationship or fellowship in your New Testament. But a relationship that is centered with, with Jesus in the center is much different. Much different than the cultural center. And then lastly, our experiences. When Jesus is at the center, we're not... We're not just experiencing life as it comes at us. We're not just following the culture and the experiences. We're intentionally, again, this is about intention. We're intentionally choosing experiences that will shape us into Christ-likeness. You know, I've, I've had some wonderful experiences over the past few years. I've gotten to go to Kauai. I've had family vacations in Michigan to see all of our relatives in Michigan and have all of our kids and our grandkids together. Um, you know, we have the, all these wonderful experiences, but I can tell you that there's two experiences that I was intentional about that have most shaped me in my life. One was when I ran in the LA Marathon for clean water. That, that was a number of years ago, and I'm still trying to get some bang out of it. <laughs> it's like that was a, a shaping thing for me that I had to be intentional and say no to a bunch of other things. It was an experience for me. And then I would say, like last year, when some of us went down to the Door of Faith Orphanage in Mexico, you know, you'd think like, you know, 48 hours in Mexico wouldn't change you, but it totally changed me. So what I'm saying to you, Christian, is that if Jesus is going to be the center of our lives so that our pure allegiance is to him, it will have to be intentional. And, and these three things will form us 
into Christ-likeness, but you will constantly be under the pressure for that not to happen. When we put Jesus in the center of our lives entirely uh, focused on him, then we see that Jesus invites us into a completely different way of seeing people. This is fundamental to not wearing jerseys. See, Jesus crossed cultural and ethnic and gender and religious boundaries. And this scene that we just started with in John 4 was not just unusual, it was radical that he did this. Because this animosity between the Jewish tradition and the Samaritan tradition runs really deep. In fact, it's so deep that it's a label. In John 8, 48, some of the Jewish leaders used the word Samaritan as a a kind of like a degrading word. Jesus says, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Those go together. It's like it's a slang. It's a slur. this This was ethnic for them. It was It was belief system. It was doctrinal. The animosity is deep. And yet Jesus made heroes often of the Samaritans in his stories. When he told the story of the good Samaritan, the the Samaritan is the good person in the story. When when we know of the, uh, the lepers that come to Jesus and Jesus heals them, who returns in the story? A Samaritan. Jesus' stories often flip the understanding of the good people and the bad people. And when I, when I think about that, I think, you know, there, there had to be a way for Jesus to tell those stories and to illustrate his points in a less discomforting way. But he chose to do this. Why, why did he do that? Jesus created new social groups made up of people who are not only different, but at odds with one another. You have to see how deep this runs. In his 12, he has a fisherman and a tax collector who exacted unfair and exorbitant taxes from that fisherman. And then you have Simon the Zealot, who undoubtedly didn't, he not only did not pay taxes, but he was likely resisting Roman rule before he started following Jesus and formed militias to strategically frustrate the Roman army. And yet, these people are all together following Jesus. I can't even imagine what those conversations would have been like. You see, the idea of the world or your family or the church even being this homogenous group where everybody is the same and everybody thinks the same, it's non-existent. It's not, it's not true of the 12. It's certainly not true of the first century church. And it's an impossibility today. Jesus not only invited these disparate people to get along, but he tells them they are his family. Not only are they family, but they are on mission together with him. In John 15, 15, Jesus said to his followers, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. He's wrapping his arms around them and saying, we are connected. And remember, they weren't just like kumbaya, all on the same page people. 
He invited each of them, wherever they were coming from, to experience his grace. And they all needed his grace. So there's no superiority. There's no pecking order. There's forgiveness for all. But yet, it's more than that. They were called to do life together. And more than that, more than just to hang out and travel together, but they served alongside one another. And he gave these disparate people his mission, go into the world. That's the real Jesus. That's the real Jesus. And yet, we are living in a time. And I just heard this phrase this week. I, I've seen the, um, the evidence of it, but I had never heard this phrase, cancel culture. Can you put that in the chat right now, cancel culture? If you know what it is, put an exclamation point. If you've never heard it before, put a question mark next to it. We're living in a cultural moment where we are canceling each other. We're just writing one another off. And I have to tell you, I have to be honest with you. I think Christians might be some of the worst about it. It's, it's, we're living in a crazy world. I'm not trying to like take an, you know, like the moral high ground on this. I'm, I'm talking about us, myself included. It's, it's crazy town right now, and everybody's elevated, and we're in a moment in this country where we're just writing one another off constantly over things Christians Writing ourselves off, one another off, over things that have nothing to do with the mission or the love or the relationship that the church is to have with one another. If, if Jesus transported his disciples and his work to this time, you would have Matthew being ousted by Peter and probably Simon you would have Peter uh, claiming that John was too soft on sin. You would have John and others saying, you know, Peter, you're so harsh about everything. And they would all be Xing each other off. And there would be no 12. And I can just tell you, uh, I'm going to get a little more honest with you. It's like every pastor has these stories right now. They're not... They're not uh, unique to me or our pastor, pastoral staff here, but this is, this is a common story among pastors where people are writing off their churches, writing off one another over things like whether to wear a mask or not. Uh, we're writing one another off over like whether the church should defy health orders or not. And people are claiming kind of the moral high ground. It's like none of us have ever been in this situation. None of us have been here. It's like it's not like, oh, yeah, this happened three years ago, so we know what to do. Everyone's trying to figure it out. And I'll tell you today that, like, we're just playing it day by day, trying to do the best that we can. And so are churches that are doing it differently. But yet we're putting these matters at such a level that, we're just blowing each other out. We do it over cultural issues. We do it over the things that we're facing. We do it over politics. And we do it over debatable doctrines. 
don't we? Here's, here's the paradox of this cancel culture or what it means in, in, in this context, in this cultural moment to have sole allegiance to Jesus. And it's this, when we put on the Jesus jersey solely, all of a sudden, it no longer matters to us what jersey others are wearing. Does that make sense? See, as we follow him, the jersey that my brother or sister, my coworker, is wearing, when I'm following Jesus wholeheartedly, and he's the center of my life, that jersey doesn't matter as much anymore. And we'll see people differently in that light. And we'll replace canceling one another with inviting one another. In Luke 14, 12, Jesus said to his host at a party, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. It's like, don't just pull together all the people that are part of your group think. These are all the people that you would normally invite into your life and be a part of this dinner, inviting them into your home. These are your people. In verse 13, he says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know, like we, we look at that and it's like, well, one's compassionate, one's not. It's much deeper than that. Jesus is flipping their orientation as to who is in their circle. And he's saying, rather than just doing groupthink, rather than just putting on your jersey and staying in that circle, step out of your circle. In fact, invite people into your circle that are different. Engage them. Engage what's happening. Make a difference in what's happening. It's one of the things that I love about what we've done through the rally. Listen to me, Sunridge. We, could, we, we all have passionate feelings about whether the school should be in, in play or not or like how it should be done. We all have different ideas about that. I'm not an educator. I'm not a health uh, expert. I am an EMT, or I was, so like I know a lot, I guess. I don't know. Um, we all have these opinions. And so we can sit back and we can rant and rave about what it should be, and I have my opinions, trust me, on these matters. But you know what we did through the vision of Lisa and Heather and, uh, and Jed and, and our team? As we said, we're going to lean into what's happening today and make a difference, and we're going to bring Jesus into this. We're going to bring opportunity to bring the gospel, to, to like let people see God through us. And so we have kids on this campus that are learning to read, and we have dear folks that are sitting with them, and like these people don't all go to church. They don't all go to Sunridge. This is the choice that we've made to engage, to lean in, because we're not asking when you come in the door, like, do you agree with us on this or that? Or like, what do you think about the schools? We just know that children are suffering, parents are suffering, families are hurting. It's crazy town, and teachers are like trying to make this thing up every day. Paul gives a different perspective of this. In his sole allegiance to God, and for, in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. 
To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Where you are is not where I am. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all means possible, I might save some. Do you see that perspective? Do you see the whole and entire allegiance to Jesus and his mission in the world? Would it be accurate here to say that Paul took off his jersey? He took off his jersey because he craved to have the conversation about who Jesus is and how he is redeeming the world today. He did that because I think he had the heart of Jesus. Now, is that hard? Is that going to be difficult? Yes. Yeah, it is. But because it's difficult, does it mean we don't do it? Because it makes us uncomfortable? Do we just say, well, I'm just going to stay here? You know, the 12 struggle with this. They're constantly in a remedial program with Jesus to try and get it once again. It's like, let me just tell you this, explain the story one more time to you. And the first century church struggled with this. And they had all of their jerseys that they wore. And they, because when people come together from all these different experiences, we are, we are just different. But it's not those differences that are the sole focus of our lives as followers of Jesus. It's Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And while they come up, you know, I know that you guys have your sports teams. Most of you have your favorite teams. And, you know, I, I remember when we used to meet on when football season would open or the playoffs or whatever, like people would be wearing their jerseys. And there was a number of years ago when I worked with a crew in the fire department, we all got season tickets uh, uh, to the Chargers. And uh, we would go together and, you know, we would park at Seau's and, you know, eat lunch and then head over uh, to the game together. And everybody would crowd on that, um, that monorail or that, you know, little... I don't know what you call that thing, but anyway, it would take us to the stadium, and everyone would be packed in there wearing their jerseys and all the different teams. And uh, why, why did we do that? Why do people do that? And then you see them pour into the stadium, and you can just see, like, you could see all the Charger uh, jerseys and all the Raider jerseys or the Chiefs, whoever, whoever was playing. It's like, why, why did we do that? Because we wanted to say, this is my team. This is who I'm here to root for. But Christian, what do we want the world to think when they look at us? What jersey do we want to be wearing? If you take your jersey off, all these other things that we've talked about, all the things that are pressing in on us right now, and you put on just the Jesus jersey, It might change your politics. It might change the way you view some of the issues in the world, but that's, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Certainly, it would improve your family. 
situation. It would improve your marriage. But if we solely wore the jersey of Jesus, whether it changed our thoughts or not, one thing I know it would do, it would give you and me an opportunity to have that conversation that Paul desperately wanted to have. It would allow you, rather than just put up walls between what's happening in the culture and you choosing these sides, that you would bring the Jesus side into the conversation. If, if we don't do that, we will never have the conversation about Jesus. We'll talk about everything else. When the only jersey we wear has Jesus on it, then when we stand at the cross, we won't be pointing our finger and calling names and inflaming people and saying things that later we're going to regret. Instead, if we wear the Jesus jersey and we stand at the foot of the cross, we won't be standing. We'll be kneeling, grateful, daily surprised that we find ourselves there, hoping that God could use our life to help someone else discover that same place. Let's put on the Jesus jersey. If you're a Christian, give your soul allegiance to God and remove all of your other jerseys. Care passionately, vote, you know, like advocate for, but remember that what we most want people to see in us is Jesus Christ. Let's do that. God, I just pray that you would take these simple words and just this basic, fundamental thought that, is, that just seems to get pushed away so easily in this day and time, that like we are called to be your followers, that we can't be driven by culture or politics or issues, that we stand at the foot of the cross and we see Jesus there and we bring his love and his perspective and his narrative and the things that he does we bring that to our world in a way that redeems the world. We shine the light. We, we bring the salt. Would you let those that are hearing my voice today, whether they're a guest or a Sunridge member, that you would let us be that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys.